to a Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have a very interesting show. We're going to be unpacking the very important area of our, you could say, civic duty, our responsibility to our larger society, something, of course, we talk about on this show all the time in different ways not only to our society, but also to our planet, uh, even a larger picture. And we could go on from there, but that'll be enough for this evening. And to do that, we have a wonderful guest who has been on A Better World a couple of times, Sam Daly Harris, who is the founder of Results and is the author of Reclaiming Our Democracy, Healing the Break Between People and Government. Since 1980, Results has identified and advocated for effective solutions to the causes of poverty and worked successfully to increase political will and funding for these solutions through powerful citizen action. In 1995, SAM initiated the Microcredit Summit campaign, which surpassed its initial goal of reaching 100 million of the world's poorest families with microloans in 2007. Working with Nobel Peace Prize laureate Mohammed Yunus, who said, no other organization has been as critical a partner in seeing to it that microcredit is used as a tool to eradicate poverty and empower women than results in the microcredit summit campaign. So that gives you a little bit of a sketch of Sam Daly Harris Harris and the work he's been doing, which here at A Better World we're most impressed with because he's just pushing a number of very important buttons to help push and evolve, not to mention transform, who we are and how we stand up for what it is we believe in and how to make a difference. In these days, we feel so disempowered by the way government is managed, the way legislation uh, is passed, the way our representatives seem to be bought and paid for by corporate interests to the extent that many say that we are living in nothing other than a corporatocracy. So where is the voice of the small man? Where do we fit in to this larger picture? And again, I've invited Sam on to talk with us about this vital subject because he is a man who has done it, a man with some answers. So, Sam, welcome back to A Better World. It's so wonderful to have it's you. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to be with you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. So, since I've spoken with you last, you've been up to all sorts of uh, troublemaking and rabble-rousing as usual. In fact, just this week, I believe it is, you were returning, or last week, from a five-day results conference. First of all, why don't you just define what results is in addition to what I already did and give us, kind of bring us up to speed with what your activities have been lately? Well, I would love to do that. I'm wondering if it might be interesting to just share how I got to founding results, starting as a musician and uh, oh God, and trained yeah. in music, percussion. So in Miami, I, I think, absolutely. yeah. So if I could just start there, and then it gets to results. I have a bachelor's and master's degree in music, and I played percussion instruments 
in the Miami Philharmonic Orchestra for 12 years and taught high school music and 37 years ago founded results on ending global poverty and domestic poverty. And the question is, what was the motivation of the change from music to poverty lobby? And when I look back in my life, there are a couple of experiences that pointed me in a different direction. I graduated from high school in 1964 and played timpani in the orchestra, of course, at the graduation ceremony. And just before the ceremony started, a flute player came back to the percussion section and told me that a high school fraternity brother a year younger than I had died the day before in a tractor-trailer accident in Georgia. It was her next-door neighbor, so she knew about it before I did. I always say I was 17. When I was 17, mortality was an irrelevant concept. I thought I had forever. But during the mourning period and the funeral, after the funeral, I went with my friend's younger brother to pick up his report card from the homeroom teacher. It began to dawn on me that maybe I had 17 more minutes or months or years, and the questions of purpose came up. Why am I here? (laughs) What am I here to do? Uh, Four years later, 1968, uh, college graduation, Robert Kennedy is assassinated right in those days. And it's another one of those, what is this life? What is this death? Why am I here? What am I here to do? No answers, but the questions are getting clearer. Nine years later, I'm a little slow. It's 1977 now. I'm invited to a presentation on ending world hunger put on by the Hunger Project. And I go to this thing thinking, well, hunger is inevitable. What do I know? I'm a musician. I mean, it's inevitable because... There are no solutions because if there were solutions, somebody would have done something by now. But I go to this thing, and it's obvious right away there's no mystery to growing food or clean water or basic health or literacy. I'm not hopeless about the perceived lack of solutions. I'm hopeless about human nature. People will just never get around to doing the things that can be done, but there's one human nature I have some control over, my own. And my question, why am I here? What am I here to do? So I get involved in a big way. This is the end of the story. In 1978 and 79, I spoke to 7,000 high school students on ending world hunger, 25 at a time, classroom by classroom. And before I went into the first classroom, I read some statements from Jimmy Carter's Commission on World Hunger and others calling for the political will to end hunger. So I asked 7,000 high school students, what's the name of your member of Congress? I didn't want to know if they wrote him. I didn't want to know if if they met him. Just the name. Out of 7,000 high school students asked, 200 knew the name of their member of Congress, just under 3%. 6,800 did not know, just over 97%. And results started out of this gap between the calls for the political will to end hunger on the one hand and the lack of basic information on who represented us in Washington on the other. And so where I'm coming from right now is you said tell us about results. I actually wanted to tell you about my hopelessness first because I Mm -hmm. think a lot of people feel some kind of powerlessness. And, And the little journey 
that got me up to what can I do? I, you know, I want to make a difference. Uh, where can I go to do that kind of thing? So no, it's understandable. Results, uh, that's that's the yeah, uh, that's yeah. the motivation to go from disempowerment to empowerment. Please exactly. go on. And so this past weekend, uh, it was about five days, uh, was the 33rd Results Conference in Washington D.C. People came from all around the world, actually, most from the U.S. but many other countries. Actually, uh, it was interesting. On the day of the first Senate vote in July, uh, in late July, on the health reform, one of the speakers on the lobby day was um, uh, uh, Susan Collins of Maine, uh, one of the two no votes on the initial vote, and then Senator Sherrod Brown of um, Ohio. Uh, during the conference, there was this amazing session where this phenomenal leader, uh, Sir Fazli Abed of BRAC in Bangladesh, the largest NGO in the world, but largely into the half of it, they're just miraculous, was in a, a session with the president of the World Bank, Jim Kim. It was an amazing visionary session with the two of them. So, and, you know, and yesterday there were probably more than 300 meetings with members of Congress or their staff on Capitol Hill. Uh, and so uh, it's just people in gear, people in action. Uh, so what you mean, Sam, is that those 300 meetings that occurred yesterday in different yes. congressional offices were a result, no pun intended, of the results conference? Well, of the results conference and the training that happens month in and month out for results volunteers. Let me give you just a little flavor yes. of my work currently. Give, a, give a a, an overview, if you would, of the organization as the way it is conducting its grassroots activity across the country. Well, let me, let me tell you about my current work, it's, which is coaching groups like results to bring the f same kind of deep advocacy to their own work. And so, for example, there's a quote by Francis Moore LePay, who wrote Diet for a Small Planet more than 40 years mm -hmm. ago. She's in a more recent show. book, yeah. okay, Wonderful. in a more recent book, uh, she wrote uh, the following. Our real problem is not a heating planet or rampant malnutrition. We only have one real problem, our own feelings of powerlessness to manifest the solutions right in front of our noses. We only have one real problem, our own feelings of powerlessness to manifest the solutions right in front of our noses. So what Results do, does, and what I do currently with other organizations, is to help them build structures of support that are strong enough to help dissolve the powerlessness. Or said a different mm -hmm. way, if you're launching a meeting and there are 30 in the room and 15 raise their hand and say, I love it, I'm in, I want to do this, do, do what? What have the volunteers promised to the organization? And what has the organization promised to the volunteers? Is it tentative and apologetic and maybe only wonky? Or is it more aspirational and inspirational and empowering? So one of the things I do for groups is to help them create structures of support so that when they're launching a chapter and people raise their hand and say, I'm in, 
they're in something powerful enough to get the the job done. And so how would you define the job and how is that structure supporting them? Right. Okay, so the job depends on the organization. So the first group I coached is Citizens Climate Lobby. And their focus, of course, is reversing climate change, but their particular initiative they call Carbon Fee and Dividend, which is a slowly rising tax on carbon fully refunded to the public. Uh, So that's their job, you might say. Uh, Another Mm -hmm. group that I coach is the Quaker Lobby, Friends Committee on National Legislation. Well, their focus right now, I mean, the Quakers, the FCNL focuses on a lot of things, but the part I work with has a very specific focus on reducing the Pentagon budget. President Mm -hmm. uh, Trump has asked for a $54 billion increase next year, and their focus is decreasing the Pentagon budget, big job that they've got. By $108 um, million, I hope. <laughs> well, yeah. And so yeah. one of their uh, – another group that I coach is American Promise. Uh, their focus is on overturning Citizens United. So getting the job done for them would be a 28th Amendment to the Constitution, essentially overturning Citizens United. And I work with mm-hmm. other groups. One of them, I'll just touch on it, is the American Wind Energy Association, who mm-hmm. wants to encourage the development of, of clean wind around the country. And another that I'm working with is Generation 180. And they want to accelerate uh, a cultural shift in energy awareness and clean energy adoption. So this last group is not lobbying Congress. They're really doing an education of the public kind of service. Well, while many of the others are engaged in uh, legislation and the like. Okay, great. So that lays out a good update on your specific activity. It's very beautiful to hear about. Now, uh, when we talk about lobbying Congress, we all have an idea in our mind, Sam, of what a lobbyist does. And it's something along the line of taking the senator or the representative out for a fancy lunch and inviting them to a hunting lodge and making sure they have enough money for their next golf outing, on and on and on. I mean, I'm being a little playful, but not completely, yeah. because this, in yeah. fact, is how the insurance lobby, the big pharma lobby, the big chemical lobby, on and on conducts their business. And it's shady at best, despite the very recent Supreme Court ruling about um, on the basis of the governor, the former governor of Virginia, who is taking all sorts of gifts and all of that. And they ruled in his favor, which is virtually as scary as Citizens United itself. But I believe that your methodology that you transmit and empower people around is somewhat different. Could you tell our audience about the distinctions? Well, yes, yeah, sure. I, and I it? could do that with Citizens Climate Lobby. I'll start with results. Um, sure. Let me, let me give you – I'm going to give you an example of a victory over the last 33 years, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about how the lobbying works. So – When we started lobbying in 1984, 
on child survival issues, UNICEF, the UN Children's Fund, was reporting that around the world, 41,000 children were dying every day from largely preventable, underscore preventable, malnutrition and disease, things like measles coupled with malnutrition. And so Results has lobbied year in and year out for 33 years on funding for child survival issues uh, and the like and more. But And UNICEF now reports that the 41,000 child deaths a day around the world has gone down to 16,000 a day. That doesn't mm-hmm. happen by just, you know, life itself. There was right. some encouragement involved. There was some pressure involved. And essentially, uh, members of results meet with their members of Congress, and they frankly put them back in touch with their desire to make a difference, the reason they ran for Congress in the first place. Uh, And so, for example, each year in January and February, there are sign-on letters from uh, led by Republicans and Democrats to the chairs of the committees that appropriate funding for things like child survival, other things like the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. And, for example, this year, the letters had lead signers in the House, a Republican and a Democrat, or another letter had two Republicans and two Democrats, uh, and 143 members of the House signed each of their these letters urging robust funding for some of these key um, accounts that make a difference in the lives of children and their families uh, around the world in this particular case. And so, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's not based on resistance. It's based uh, on relationship. If I can give you uh, just, uh, I, I gave, First of all, let me just say kudos because, the, I mean, the drop, I mean, it's sad for any of us to think of one child dying because of these yes. very preventable diseases. But to go yes. from 41,000 to 16,000 is a remarkable drop. And I would dare say that is a result of a number of things. Uh could even be the improvement of medical uh, practices as well as yes. the political pressure that your groups help to bring to bear. No, absolutely. But I want to uh, remind your listeners that the smallpox vaccine was discovered in the late 1700s by uh, Richard Jenner. But uh, smallpox was not eradicated till something around 1978. So it was hundreds of years. So even if you have the development, the intervention, the technology, you might not have the political will and the resources to then implement. Very true. 
And Very so, uh, yes, yes, there are other well, factors. Well, someone, yeah, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but someone would uh, venture to say that it wasn't the vaccine that actually helped to end it at all, but it was rather <laughs> different hygiene practices that had much yes. more to do with it than the vaccine. Yeah. But, you know, that's not what we're here to discuss. We are yeah. discussing, however, the importance of, of cultivating a political will in the face of what looked like improbable odds. And that's yes. just, you could say, that's one of your specialties is in yes. dealing yes. with a, what appears to be impossible. So well, I think it fits I, right into a better world radio, these kinds yeah. of actions creating a Definitely. better world. Uh, let, let me say, I've been doing a talk. Uh, around New Jersey, where I live, and the original title to the talk was Writing Checks, Signing Petitions, and Protest Marches. Yeah. Is that all there is? And I really want to suggest that there's something deeper. There's something more profound. And the latest title of the talk is Are Shouting and Silence the Only Options? bringing bipartisanship and transformation to citizen activism. I'm Mm. going to repeat it. Are shouting and silence the only two options, bringing bipartisanship and transformation to citizen activism? You've got to deconstruct those wonderful ideas for us. Right. Well, there are a couple of things. You know, uh, it's been a tough number of months right now a lot of uh, movements backwards and mm-hmm. uh, and when I say uh, are shouting and silence the only two options I'm not saying the resistance movement is the wrong way to go no no resistance and shouting uh, it's not my style but it's in shouting can stop bad things from happening but yes. they won't get good things to happen. Yeah. And so it, it's sort of like work, a, a palliative, you know, it, it, it's like a band-aid for the moment. It stops the mm-hmm. hemorrhaging. Yeah, yeah. And if you said to me, well, you know, I've got a ma- magic wand and we're going to have all the resistance we ever needed. It's all going to be resistance. I would say, no, 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 that's good. But we need the relational bipartisan transformational yeah. work too and you and if you said oh i have a magic wand we're only going to have the relational bipartisan i'd probably say no we probably need the other two <laughs> my work right. is on the relational side and if i yeah. could just give you one example uh i just got word uh, today i think it happened yesterday there's mm-hmm. uh uh in the house of representatives there's a climate solutions caucus and it was launched a year ago, April, uh, and with the first, uh, I believe it was something like 10 members, and, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, uh, uh, something like 10 Republicans and 10 Democrats. And it, at the time of the election, uh, either four Republicans either retired or lost their seats. And the Climate Solutions Caucus in the House uh, was down to six Republicans and six Democrats. After the inauguration in January, 18 more Republicans and 18 more Democrats have joined the Climate Solutions Caucus. So now there's 50, 25 Republicans and 25 Democrats. 
that came from the relational, uh, bipartisan, uh, transformational interaction by constituents with their members of the House. Now, you know, to be honest, three years ago, you couldn't have gotten one Republican on anything mm-hmm. titled climate. And so I, it's a real feather in the cap of way yeah. this kind of work and of citizen climate lobbies, especially their volunteers who have played this uh, outsized role in enrolling most, not all, there are other groups like the Quaker lobby uh, involved, but enrolling most of the 25 Republicans and 25 Democrats who joined the Climate Solutions Caucus. There's another, Sam, I want to bring another uh, kind of dimension to this, another variable uh, in what has become an extremely difficult and challenging White House and administration relative to things that happen to be near and dear to your and my hearts, such as the subject of really dealing with climate change, wide-eyed, open-eyed, and dealing with issues of poverty and economic disparity the way it is, you know, worldwide, let alone in our country, dealing with children's hunger and that there's still hunger some 18 million children in our country every night going to bed hungry in what is called the richest nation in the world um you know there's a the other dimension i wanted to bring to bear here is that of polarization and i was just at a conference myself last week on social impact investing which has a lot to Mm -hmm. do with green and what's called ESG, environment, social, and governance. This is like the new title for green and impact uh, type of uh, investors. Since Trump got into the White House, not to particularize this conversation so much, but it's because what you're bringing forward goes beyond any particular administration. This is a civic duty, and I'd like to return to that aspect of it in a moment. But they were saying, one after the other, that there has been such a massive influx of money, investor money, that could go anywhere. It could go into the stock exchange in the S&P, you know, the standard, you know, triple, you know, uh, chip, blue chip types of companies. But no, it has gone into the green sector and the ESG sector since this White House has dropped the Paris Agreement and -hmm. has called climate change a Chinese hoax. So through the polarization, which instilled some level of fear in a lot of people, mm-hmm. they have taken it on themselves to put their money where their values are and to yeah. act in accordance with that. I thought you would be rather encouraged to hear yeah. of this yeah. massive influx of funds into things yeah. that are very yeah. humane and very green and very just. Yeah, yeah I would say that's great that we need to put our money where our values are in our investing, but also put our voices where our values are as citizens. And uh, Absolutely. I have to tell you, as someone, uh, a New York Times columnist wrote me a few months ago, 
and said, what are people, what can people do uh, in response to the president's new budget and the president? And I said, there's two, uh, there's one thing they can do, and there are two routes. The one thing is get in front of your member of Congress. Get yourself educated, joining a group like the ones I talked about, and get Mm -hmm. yourself in front of your member of Congress. Now, you can either do it in a kind of resist mode, or you can do it in the relational, bipartisan, transformational mode. But uh, it's the Congress that will either approve the president's uh, 31% cut to the EPA or won't. That will mm-hmm. approve his uh, 28% cut to diplomacy and foreign assistance, or they won't. And that's going to be a response to what their constituents are saying to them. And so, yes. uh, yeah, I think it's, it's In great. In fact, that, you know, you bring something up I'd like to, I would like to ask you. There are, as you say, there are several modes. And, you know, of course, there's being proactive uh, and there's being resistant, and both, mm-hmm. as you well put it, have their own respective roles and places proportionately. Yep. You know, I personally, as you know, I have at the bottom of my email signature uh, two quotes, which I'd like to bring to bear here. One is mm-hmm. a famous quote by Margaret Mead of, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. And uh, that has its own resonance, of course, for people like us and uh, maybe even for others as well. And the other one is every bit as potent and speaks to this point that you are addressing now, Sam, which Mm -hmm. is by Buckminster Fuller. And it is, Mm -hmm. you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Now, that I want to also make another comment on before I open this up to you again, and that is that if one understands, and I think it's really important that people do understand something about neurophysiology and about the way the mind and the brain work, and it doesn't accomplish anything through don't. It doesn't accomplish through the negative. It accomplishes through the proactive because when people are engaged in something, an affirmative action, the brain starts to build a new neural network around that subject, around those values, around the heart space, around the mental activity of whatever that action engages. And that is a way of literally building a new society because you're building a new person. Yes. Your thoughts. So let me, yes, agree. And so let me just offer our predicament in a similar quote to the Francis Moore LePay. And this one is from Lawrence Lessig, the Harvard professor yes. who focuses mm-hmm. on campaign finance issues. Who started to run issues. for office. That's yeah. right. And while he was running, he was, I think, on C-SPAN. I saw him and he said, we did a poll and found that 96% of Americans want money out of politics. Yes. But 91% said it isn't possible. <laughs> That's the politics of resignation. 
Yes. But the politics of resignation gives you a way forward. If we can find a way to thaw the resignation, we can find a way to winning. And so what I do is coach groups in creating structures of support that are powerful enough to thaw the resignation and that what I urge your listeners to do is to find organizations that are committed to and effective at thawing the resignation. And I could tell you about Mm -hmm. how these groups do that. But again, results.org on global and domestic poverty, citizensclimatelobby.org on climate change, fcnl.org on reducing the Pentagon budget, americanpromise.net on overturning Citizens United, awea.org, and generation180.org. Org, uh, on uh, sustainable uh, energy uh, and the like. So, um, yeah, that's when I give my talk. I always have groups like that; those groups tabling around the room. So I don't want to yeah. just excite people and then send them off, kind of googling something or other. Uh, but I yeah, want to go back there, right. talk to them, Direct see if them. they have this. Exactly. And exactly. So, uh, Let's take yeah. a moment. I have to let everyone know that you are listening to A Better World with Mitchell J. Rabin. We are on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. as well as through the archive at abetterworld.tv, www.abetterworld.tv, where you can see anything and everything we have done on radio over the past mm, 10, 12 years, something like that. And also, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter, A Better World newsletter, over on the right-hand side of the homepage, which announces what we'll be talking about on the radio show, as well as the community television show, every Monday evening in New York City and Manhattan at 7 p.m. You can watch it on TV right here, or you can watch it on that same website, abetterworld.tv, simply by clicking at the very top where it says, watch here. It's that simple, and we'd love for you to be part of a better world family and community. We are speaking with Sam Daly-Harris, who is just dazzling me with the work that he's been doing on the ground literally for decades in making a difference in people's lives and turning resignation into empowerment and effective action on a number of different subjects that are dear to anyone's hearts who have a heart, which has to do with (laughs) children and issues around malnutrition and hunger and poverty. And then on the larger scale of looking at uh, climate change and global warming and things of this sort, things that anyone who really wants to make a difference and improve conditions for humanity and all sentient life for that matter need to pay attention to. So, Sam, it's such a pleasure to have you back again. You make such a good contribution to our audience and to all that you speak with. I'm just so pleased at the good work that you're doing. I'd like to ask you, uh, when you coach these groups, and the groups inside the chapters, inside results, to speak to their congresspeople. You know that 
talk about resistance, they are doing what they can to stay in office. They have their own private um, agendas. Yes, I love that you call them out on their original intent to go into office and to serve. That's very powerful, and I'm all for it. However, once in a broken system, I'll call it, and corrupt system, they become privy to, in fact, for their survival, are having to spend a lot of time every single week raising money, phoning for dollars, and they've been covered on 60 Minutes, just how much time these otherwise rather wonderful um, politicians who want to serve are co-opted through this very corrupt Mm -hmm. process. How do you, and many of the things that you and I stand for, uh, are in contrast to the interests that are paying their bills, like Big Oil and others. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with this? Well, let me say, I, I, I tell you about a, a workshop that I led this weekend at the results conference and last month at the Citizens Climate Lobby Conference. It, the title is basically about creating champions in Congress for your cause. And basically I started with saying a lot of times I'll hear an activist say, my member of Congress is so good, there's no meet, reason to meet with him. Or my member of Congress is so, such a loser, it'd be, it'd be a waste of time to meet with them. And consequently, nobody's meeting with anyone. And the workshop is about moving those who are opposed up to being neutral and moving those who are neutral up to being supporters. And most people would go, oh, my member's a co-sponsor of the bill. I'm done. No, no. You want to move supporters up to being advocates. And you want to move members of Congress who are advocates up to being leaders and spokespersons, and you want to move leaders up to being champions. And at the workshop, we had people come up, and they'd describe their member of Congress. He's opposed. How do I get to the next level? Or my my member of Congress is a supporter. How do I get him up to the next level? But um, uh, uh, um, my, my particular gripe is when people call any member of Congress who does anything good a champion i try to make this the 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 distinction no no a champion is someone who's so out in front of the organization that they're pushing the organization to catch up with them so don't Mm -hmm. call anyone and their brother a champion no that's someone who's out in front it's kind of like if your executive director was elected to congress that might be a champion, depending on yes. who the executive director is. In other words, but so, so, save the kudos a little bit for the right yeah, exactly. people down the road. But, but, but you said, how do we do it? Part of the how do we yes. do it is the whole bit about, okay, so your person's opposed. Uh, great. How do we work with that? And, you know, when they go in and they prepare for a meeting – they're always instructed to do some research. What can you thank them for? What have they done that you do support? I know mm-hmm. that 95% of what they do you do not support. What I mean, 
is it just thank yous for meeting with us? We're so appreciative of that. Or is there something they've done that you really honestly could thank them for? Another piece yes. of it is uh, is uh, asking them questions, finding out how do, how is it that you feel about the money washing around in in, in politics and yeah. and uh, you know and is does it feel right to you that people with more money have more voice and people with less money have less voice? I mean, I we noticed recently, I did a few months ago that all the bills in Congress for overturning Citizens United have only one Republican co-sponsor. So the chapters of American Promise, they're so excited about working. They're meeting with their members of Congress, and one of their main goals is to get them to partner in bringing Republicans on board, knowing that if they do, it's not just a breakthrough for them and their group or for the uh, organization, American Promise, it's a breakthrough for the movement. And so when you live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and the American Promise group started there about three or four months ago, and they've had their four-part new group training, and they've taken on meeting all five federal elected officials, the three representatives and the two senators, with that goal, getting into a partnership in bringing uh, Republicans on board that lights people up not because it's easy yes but because it's needed and they know yes. that if they can work on it if they can succeed they will have made a profound difference same thing with the climate lobby with 25 Republicans and 25 Democrats on the climate solutions caucus and a lot of people say that's so that's baloney you know they're just names on a list and you know, it's just uh, they're trying to get a pass for the next election, putting their, their name down. Well, there was a recent vote, an amendment on the defense authorization bill to strip out uh, a call for uh, a, a study in, in the military on the effects of climate change. And a member of Congress in the House uh, offered an amendment to strip it out. Well, 22 of the then 24 um, – Republicans on the Climate Solutions Caucus voted against stripping it out, and another 20-something Republicans who are not even on the caucus yet also, I think with a little bit of cover, voted against stripping it out. Three years ago, you know, people would have been hiding out on that kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. so uh, if someone says to me, oh, you know, the Climate Solutions Caucus It's just a facade. I mean, it's a gesture. And my answer is, we'll see. You might be right. It might be just a gesture. Or I might be right. It might be a first step toward real leadership. But I would rather be at 25 and 25 than zero and zero on the Climate Solutions Caucus, 25 Republicans and 25 Democrats. Of course. You know, I want to take a deeper dive, if you will, Sam, because, you know, my background, as you well know, is in psychology and counseling. And I I really look at the mind every bit as much, actually more, than I look at political bills and all of that, even though I'm very, very politically tuned in. Because here's an example. 
we go from Obama, who is considered liberal and progressive, and there's a lot that argues that that's not entirely true, but that's a different yeah. conversation. Uh, but uh, we, nonetheless, many, many good measures during his administration were established. Then enter Trump, and he's doing everything he can for all sorts of reasons to overturn anything that has Obama's imprimatur. And so what we see is that we have a structure of governance that allows for this flip-flop phenomenon from Mm -hmm. possible administration to administration. And it's a very awkward way to actually conduct the business of government and governance. It's really, I mean, from the larger point of view, from my uh, point of view, is a very awkward, yes, you could say, there's freedom and it's a right to vote and there's democracy and all. Not, that notwithstanding, it just doesn't work. If you have people who are looking to put methods of sustainability, for instance, in place over the course of years that need decades to unwind, and that's in place, and then all of a sudden of a, a even call it a fair vote, a non-Russian-based vote, um, takes place. But the sentiment is the opposite. So where am I going with this? There seems to me there needs to be a clarification and an education on a psychological, intellectual, and emotional level that will even this whole thing out and extinguish some of the profound polarities that show up in a two-party system, that that doesn't really speak for and to the people. Your thoughts about that? Well, let me go for the psychological piece for a second. And this is another quote. It's from a Frank Rich column in the New York Times 10 years ago. Uh, November will be 10 years. And he wrote... um, Oh, this is so amazing. A recent poll found that 24% of Americans believe the country is on the right track. That might mean that 76% believe the country is on the wrong track. Wrong track is a euphemism. We are a people in clinical depression. Americans know that the ideals which once set our nation apart from the world have been vandalized. I'm going to repeat the end. Uh, Wrong track is a euphemism. We are a people in clinical depression. Americans know that the ideals which once set our nation apart from the world have been vandalized. End of quote. And my response to that is the following. Most nonprofits don't acknowledge the toxicity into which they send their volunteer advocates. Consequently, they don't create a powerful structure of support that can be the antidote to that toxicity. Instead, they offer mouse-click activism, thin gruel for anyone hungry to make a difference. And so (laughs) I think that quote is so powerful in terms of we are a people in clinical depression um, you know, don't forget, I think it was something like 90 million didn't vote last November 
90 million mm-hmm. either old enough to vote or what registered yeah. or whatever it was. Sure. We are a people sure. in clinical depression. So my, if, if anything in this interview interview is getting through to people and they say, well, oh, my gosh, I like this. I think I could make a difference. What should I do? Yeah. I, my yeah. answer is find an organization that doesn't just offer you mouse clicks but offers you, you know, something much more. Uh, this kind of thawing of the resignation. And again, results.org on global domestic poverty, uh, citizensclimatelobby.org on climate change, fcnl.org on reducing the Pentagon budget, americanpromise.net on overturning Citizens United, oea.org, and also generation180.org on the first on uh, wind energy and the second on energy awareness and clean energy adoption. And so, uh, yeah, the psychological... What about, what, about, what about mouse clicking, Sam? Because many people do engage in that, and for many that is as far as they go, and I so appreciate well, your call to much larger action and engagement. Yes. But tell us about the effect. Well, it was, of first that. of all, I say... Don't stop mouse clicking, but don't stop there. I'm going to give you like an example of deeper action. Um, Citizens Climate Lobby volunteers had 65 letters to the editor, op-eds, and editorials published in 2010. In the first six months of this year, their volunteers had 2,028 letters, op-eds, and editorials, they're on track to 4,000 this year. Mm. Now, I'm going back to the psychological for a moment. When I'm a volunteer and I have my first letter to the editor published, I'm thinking, oh, I have a voice that I didn't imagine that I had. Or I have that Mm -hmm. first meeting with a member of Congress or their aide, and it actually goes kind of well. Uh, Oh, I have a voice. And my voice matters. That's also that's also psychological. And um, very much. There's this great quote um, that goes: uh, um, "The two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why." <laughs> and I'm sure that the why oh, has. The, the, I'm sure uh, the, the the why has something to do with giving back, contributing making a difference. And when that's clogged up, uh, it has a psychic effect on us. And when that's opened up and released, that desire and then that ability to make a difference, uh, something is unleashed that's uh, quite spectacular. Beautifully put. I I agree with you wholeheartedly. And um, it it's actually leads to not only uh, psychological and emotional, but physical constipation. <laughs> so here is yes. a remedy, folks. <laughs> Step right up. No, I, you know, where you come from, to me, is so empowering and so beautiful. And I, I actually do speak with my audience about these kinds of things a lot. And I, I refer people to you and your work because... That's how strongly I feel about it. In fact, mm-hmm. I'm teaching the Game Changer Intensive again. Uh, well, I do the Awakening the Dreamer as well for the Pachamama Alliance, which you yes. basically introduced me to some years back, and I 
thank you for that. I've been yeah. rather involved for years now since then, actually, since that lovely lunch at the boathouse. And uh, um, I refer my groups to the work of Sam Daly Harris and Results because of how yeah. well I think about the work you do. I'm at the same time, uh, I am heartbroken by how bad bad really is. Pardon the value judgment, but I think it's appropriate. I just wrote to you the other day referencing the Rutherford mm-hmm. Institute. And it's something mm-hmm. I really, really don't like talking about. But it brings up the searing systemic injustice. We have the black-white issue. We have ethnicity issues. We have gender issues of every type that are plaguing our courts and our lives. But it goes beyond that. We're dealing with, and this is specifically what I'm talking about, that has been in front of the AG recently, um, and that is asset forfeiture. In other words, People can be driving down the street in their own mm-hmm. hometown, and God forbid they should happen to have $1,000 or so in their pocket for whatever reason. It's their money, and you thought that we were living in a free country. The police officer can actually confiscate that on the suspicion, no matter how bizarre and unrelated. Found that that money was ill-begotten, possibly related to drugs. And one is then on this odyssey of seeking to reclaim and set this whole thing aright. But this has turned into a multi-billion dollar um, way of supporting local police departments across the country. I'm bringing this up, not that we are going to solve this in today's show, but rather to show, again, the serious psycho-emotional pathology that has infiltrated our society, that it has become so money and greed and self-interested based that it makes the work you're doing all the more important. But I just would love to hear what you have to say, because you and I, we, we, everyone has to cherry-pick their issues, you know? We just right. don't have enough bandwidth for doing it all. So hearing this, yeah. but it does signify, you could call it, he called it clinical depression. I go further and actually call it a cancer. Your comments. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I, when I did my first talk, at the Princeton Public Library, they set up 60 chairs and 120 showed up at noon on a and went uh, in a February uh, because mm-hmm. people are so into this. What can I do? What can I do? I got an yeah. email from a friend who said, uh, "Yeah, I do. You know, I, but I'm still frustrated. I don't know what issue to work on." And I said to them, "Well, um, I, my suggestion is rather than feeling ineffective." wildly ineffective i wrote on 10 different mm-hmm. issues or mildly ineffective on three pick one and that you can work on to be profoundly affected effective on you can still click away on the other nine but there's still one that you're having a much more profound effect on 
And that's yeah. really a way to go. Uh, if I can, I want to share this quote with you. And if you don't mind, I may say it twice because I love sure. sharing quotes that inspire me. And it's it's related to all really? of this. It's from Alex Steffen, uh, who I've never met. But anyway, it goes like this. Optimism is a political act. Those who benefit from the status quo are perfectly happy with a large population of people who believe nothing will get any better. In fact, these days, cynicism is obedience. I love that. What's mm. really radical is being willing to look at the magnitude and difficulty of the problems we face and still insisting we can solve those problems. And if you don't mind, once more, optimism is a political act. Those who benefit from the status quo are perfectly happy with a large population of people who believe nothing will get any better. In fact, these days, cynicism is obedience. I love that. Oh, What's really radical God, is being is... willing to look at the magnitude oh. and difficulty of the problems we face and still insisting we can solve those problems. You know, I, I <laughs> you are giving me the goosebumps. I'm thinking back right now to something we both know about, which is the Hunger Project and the very powerful declaration that underlied it made back in, what was it, 1974, right? Right? 77. And 77. And it was yes. to end world hunger by the year 2000. Now, we all had sort of wonderful, illusory, magical beliefs of something happening profoundly in the year 2000, you know, the beginning of a yep. new century. So it had that sort of a bit of a magical wisp around it, which was great because it only further inspired people. Now, that was a ballsy, courageous declaration that was made in 1977. And I say to people, I cite that regularly, and I say, it, guess what? It didn't happen. It didn't happen. World hunger was not eliminated. But let's take a look at what actually did happen from that mm -hmm. date until the year mm -hmm. 2000. And everybody's jaw just drops because a profound amount of change happened and awareness yeah. and even actions to clean up that horrible situation. So, and I would what if add we declare that, again that the, in 2020? Well, the, the, the sustainable development goals, the sustainable development goals agreed at the UN for the year 2030 are eliminating extreme poverty, eliminating hunger, having all children around the world finish a secondary school. These are all the equivalents of the end of hunger and poverty. And will we reach them by 2030? We could, if there's enough could. drive, if there's enough That's political right. will, if there are enough citizens getting behind it, we could. And that's what we're up for. I agree. I agree. I also want to open up something based on a, your response to something I said about the conference I was at last week about social investing and, and uh you know, mm -hmm. impact investing. And I, I want yes. to expand the understanding of voting. I think that it's way too riveted in the political sphere, and it needs to be understood that we are voting with the way we spend money because at the mm -hmm. end of the day, it's the economic machinery that drives mm -hmm. governments, and we have many, too many examples of it. And 
I believe the government should stand on its own political feet itself. And that's kind of mm-hmm. been underlying as a theme in today's discussion. But that does not at all inhibit, quite the contrary, the importance of people recognizing that they get to vote every single time they spend a dollar and also go to vote and also do what Sam Daly Harris is urging us all to do, which meet with legislators. Yes, mouse click, but actually go and meet and develop relationships, real relationships with the people who represent you. And connect with groups that can empower you to do that effectively. Yes. Exactly, and work with a, as a group effort, absolutely. Well, Sam, um, let me ask you, you know, your last last words that you'd like to share with our audience. Perhaps you've said them already, but I want well, to give I you Well, I have, one and it's really about opening. connecting with one of these groups, uh, connecting with results.org on global and domestic poverty, citizensclimatelobby.org on climate change, uh, fcnl.org on reducing the Pentagon budget. Pick one, uh, AmericanPromise.net on overturning Citizens United, AWEA.org and Generation180.org uh, on what about, sustainable What about right environment. to amend? I, I'm sorry, move to amend. Sure. As the terms of is, the, yeah, Citizens. No, absolutely. Uh, brilliant. But the thing is, I'm working with citizen uh, sorry american promise week in and week out to have a powerful monthly conference call and to have a powerful call for their leaders and to really have a structure of support that can uh, not just let the people who are go-getters succeed but let everyone who wants to make a difference succeed even if they're not initially a go-getter mm-hmm Okay, so the two groups are really, in many ways, working Aligned. on the same goal and the same Absolutely. result. Absolutely. And, in yeah. fact, on that note, before I let you go, I, I actually see that I have a few other questions for you. The idea is that it to call for basically would be a, a constitutional assembly um, and add a new amendment, you said, to amend yes, well, that. Well, it could either be the assembly – or it could be that or, Congress passes it, and it goes back to the states for ratification, like the equal uh, the uh, the women's vote and, and the like. Oh, okay. So okay. you can either have a In, constitutional convention, or convention, Congress can specifically can specifically pass this amendment and then send it to states for ratification. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me give so one, one example. Yeah, the group that I'm coaching, uh, you know, had a, a congressman from uh, Maryland as their conference call guest two months ago, and Jim McGovern, congressman from Massachusetts last month, and Francis Morlapay, mm-hmm. the author that I'd mentioned earlier, was their conference sure. call guest this month. So it's this month-in, month-out structure of support that empowers and educates. Got it, got it. Yeah. Now, is there a legislative solution. You know how, for instance, um, you know, Roe v. Wade passed many, many moons ago, and it was sailing along, but there's always been opposition to it. Well, even though it's constitutionally agreed to that women can have abortions, 
Congress has done all that it could to reduce right. the funding, for instance, you know, as we know, to Planned mm-hmm. Parenthood and other mm-hmm. organizations. So, yes, yeah. it's the law that people, women can have abortions, but there's no public funding for it, and there's tremendous resistance to it in different ways, making it almost impossible for abortion clinics to operate, you see, on the legislative levels. So what are your thoughts about about that? Well, I mean, again, who is it, Ram Dass, that said, uh, when a pickpocket meets a saint, all he sees are his pockets. And so all I see is citizen empowerment, getting trained, getting empowered, and speaking up to their elected officials. Everything yeah. you talk about, you know, is some aspect of citizens being silent, citizens being unempowered, citizens being inactive. And then the kinds of things you talk about is what we get. And yet when we get in gear and get educated, we can make uh, miracles happen. I hear you. I hear you. Well, Sam, I so appreciate all of your responses and uh, educating us all about a real forward, positive way forward in making a difference Mm and standing up with our civic responsibilities is the way I put it at the beginning of the show. And I feel that that, this is what you're engaging in us. And I'd love to see part of our high school education civics back in there again. So people can feel that connection to taking responsibility on the, on this level. So, yeah. Thank you again. Give us your website one more time, if you would. Well, they can get uh, my book, Reclaiming Our Democracy, at reclaimingourdemocracy.org. And the Center for Citizen Empowerment and Transformation is at citizenempowermentandtransformation.org. But it's really the organizations that I coach that I encourage people to check out, and we've gone over that. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, people can listen. Yeah. You've laid it out once or twice, and uh, I have yeah. it. I will have it all on my website as well. I think Brilliant. I already have it. So we'll okay, make sure great. of that. Great. Sam Daly Harris, thanks again for being a guest, and uh, we'll have you on again. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Wow, such a rich, rich dialogue, and uh, the work that Sam is doing is so good and it helps so many people and it can really well it's pretty obvious the kind of mindset that comes with what Sam is discussing here and bringing forward is a highly positive one that just does not take no for an answer it is not part of the lexicon That's a very powerful place to be coming from, and I I so appreciate it, which is why I've been upholding Sam's work for a long time since we met some years back. So I want to thank you all for listening and uh, sharing this with your those close to you and spread the word. There's a lot to learn here, a lot to share, and a lot of action to take. Remember to visit us at www.abetterworld.tv. Get the newsletter if you don't yet already. And remember that I love hearing from you and your 
uh, comments as well as suggestions at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net. And also remember that we are a nonprofit of 501c3, and we manage to stay alive through your generous contributions. So please bear that in mind, and there's a, a donate button on the website or for somewhat larger uh, contributions, just contact me at that same email address, and we'll work all that out. Thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.